Hey everyone, Yas here and I just wanted to say it's great to have you join me today because I'm sure we're going to have another fantastic episode. So whether you're here for the first time or if you're one of the repeat loyal listeners of the show, I truly appreciate you. But before we get to today's guest, I just have a small favour to ask and that's if you could just take a brief moment to hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. Ensure that you share it with all your coaching friends and don't forget to get in touch guys. Let me know your thoughts on what you think of today's episode or any of the recent episodes you've listened to. You can do this on Twitter at the Coaches Net. Once again, that's at the Coaches Net. And please make sure you do, as I'd love to hear your thoughts, guys. Anyway, on to today's show. I hope you enjoy it. Have a great day, guys. The Coaches Network. Hey, guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent, and personal development. My name's Coach Yas, and I'm a UEFA A license football coach, coach developer, and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons, and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Right, guys, welcome back to the Coaches Network. My name's Coach Yas, and I've got a very special guest for me today. My guest today is Dr. Chris James. Afternoon, Chris. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Yeah, thank you for the invitation to uh, join you on the podcast. I'm really looking forward to it. Likewise, and I'm you know, and I really mean that. So, you know, it's a insightful topic for us to kind of dive into with you, given your experiences. So just on that, maybe just give a brief insight around who you are, what you do, and we'll go from there. Yeah, of course. So I'm I'm a consultant clinical psychologist. So um, I I'm appreciate that that doesn't always mean too much to people. So what that means is that as a clinical psychologist, all my like core training was in uh, mental health. And um, I've done clinical training around that. So I've worked in hospitals, different kinds of services. Um, so I spent about 15 years or so working in NHS services, um, a lot of different types of mental health services, and then later in sleep services. Um, and then really got interested in um, the sleep of athletes, um, which led me to set up Sleep Athletic, because um, I saw that there was a massive need for specialist um, clinical sleep input for athletes. Um, so yeah, at the moment now, my, my, what, what I do day to day is really varied. Um, so I, I've got sleep athletic, which is all the elite athlete work and with coaches and teams. Um, plus I still have my clinical psychology practice. Um, but my understanding is that we're here today to, to focus mostly on sleep and that side of things. Yeah, definitely. And obviously just to kind of, you know, just come off the back of you, you know, that brief intro that you gave us. So I think it's really important for me to highlight, obviously part of the podcast itself is not just looking at how we support coaches, but how we support potentially parents in developing um, more efficient and effective pathways and, and and avenues to support the players that we work with. And obviously okay. part of that is not just looking at interacting with coaches, but people from the wider disciplines within, you know, the athlete and talent development world, essentially. So, I mean, mm-hmm. having the opportunity to kind of speak to you around your expertise is obviously going to be really insightful and hopefully there'll be some practical steps we can take away from this and look to apply straight away. So I guess, you know, if, you mentioned there your background is clinical psychology. You know, just maybe just give us a bit of an insight around how you got into the sleep space and you know how that how that yeah. came about. Yeah, sure. Um, so working in mental health services, you you see people with sleep difficulties all the time, but there's a tendency to just see that as kind of secondary to the main difficulty. So you might be working with them for anxiety or low mood or whatever, but almost all of those people that you work with have also got sleep problems but what kind of occurred to me really was that a lot of health professionals don't have anywhere near enough training in sleep yet services full of people with sleep problems um and then 
I, I just got to know um, a local sleep consultant, actually, who, who heads up the, the sleep service um, in my area. And we got talking and he was really interested in psychology and, and some of the, the things I do. Um, and really what happened there was that um, a new post was, was developed in that service. It was it was quite radical, actually, bringing in a psychologist into a sleep service because they're, they're traditionally very sort of medical driven medical interventions. But something like insomnia, you actually need um, a psychological perspective because it's, it's largely driven by psychological processes. Um, so it was a really exciting role and I jumped at the chance, uh, went with it. And then that just really sparked like a, a massive interest and passion in sleep. And from that, I started to look at sort of specialist areas, different kind of groups that um, are in great need of, of sleep support um, and, and amongst that went to a conference you had people talking about athletes and I just thought wow this is amazing and as someone who is very unathletic but loves sports um, that that kind of like really sparked an interest in me um, so yeah I started to look into this area and um, what I what I found was that actually there there are very few um, sort of qualified clinical sleep specialists in that space and I just thought wow there's this just such a need for this and, and I was quite blown away actually that there aren't um, that football clubs athletes aren't paying so much attention to sleep given the huge impact it has on performance and recovery um, and well-being so seeing that I just thought wow this is we need to do a bit of awareness raising and, and this there's definitely scope here to sort of try and move into this field and, and start working with um, athletes and coaches I think it's really interesting because obviously you know you'd think that probably the first thing that people look at is right are people getting enough rest you know you're talking about everything yeah and insomnia a background and you know moving in just into sports generally you know we, we talk all the time about managing intensities and making sure the workload is appropriate but actually how much do we actually consider the sleep or the rest that players or athletes are getting in on a general basis and I think mm. you know, especially when you're working with younger athletes you know you also then consider right not just the sleep cycles but also when and where are, the, are we most efficient in terms of actually delivering training sessions potentially you know mm -hmm. obviously there's challenges that come with that in terms of facilities venues and and things like that in terms you know in in some cases you might be playing a game on a saturday but the only time you can get a booking for a, a training session might be a monday night how, yeah. how does the impact on things you know it, what does that look like as a, as a weekly you know schedule in that respect so maybe just shed a little bit of insight around that in, in terms of is is there anything you know, in your findings and your research, where you where you've identified actually is the most optimal time for young athletes to get you know a certain amount of sleep, and at what stage? Yeah. Does that change? Um. Okay. Yeah. No, that that's really important area. So, thinking specifically about young athletes as well, and and that's a really nice age group to work with because they tend to be a bit more open to new ideas. You're kind of catching them earlier in their career as well, so you you can you've got an opportunity there. I think to get really good habits um, in place um, to educate them so they understand why sleep is such a, um, you know, so important. Um, so looking at the sleep need of, of elite athletes, so compared to non-athletes, athletes need more sleep. So as in duration wise, right? So they, so they should be getting more sleep, which kind of makes sense when you think about um, you know, the physical demands, the mental demands of, of top level sports. Um, and, and research shows this. 
Um, but athletes are actually getting less. They're getting less sleep than non-athletes. Add into that that younger people, broadly speaking, need a bit more sleep. So when we're thinking about that kind of academy level age group, um, perhaps teenagers, they should be getting more sleep anyway, just purely based on age. Add to the fact that they're also an athlete. And and then you're actually looking at, they, they should, you know, we're, we're talking about maybe ideally nine hours, 10 hours of sleep per night. And they, they tend to be not getting anywhere near that. And, and it, as you say, there's a few different factors there. So there's the training times. So if they've got to get up early, they've got to travel to, to the ground to train. Um, but also they want they want to have a social life. They want downtime. They want to, you know, do gaming. They want to talk to their friends. They want to do all that stuff, which which then lifestyle stuff starts to impact on the opportunity for sleep. So what you find then is that their window for sleep is kind of squeezed, is compressed. So they often don't get enough sleep. Some of that is slightly more straightforward to sort out through just a bit of education and getting them to try and look at the timing of some of the things that they're doing um, in their own sort of free time. But training's a bigger challenge because when you start to talk to clubs and say, well, actually, technically, you know, you should move the training time to <laughs> later in the day. Um, clearly, that, that's, a, that's a bigger a, a sort of a, a bigger challenge. And the other thing to say as well about young athletes is the timing of the sleep. So um, are you familiar with the idea of like night owls and, and larks in terms of sleeping preference? Yeah. Yeah, I've come across it before and, I, and I, you know, I'm just in, in my mind while you're speaking, I'm thinking, right, oh, yeah, you're, you're right in terms of the scheduling, but probably one of my favourite topics is naps. Yeah. <laughs> How important are they? Obviously, trying to try and kind of if you like, in some ways, manipulating um, the potential returns of rest in that respect. Yeah. So, um, just I'll, I, I definitely want to talk about naps. Just to, I just want to sort of round off what I was saying there about um, the timing. So, younger athletes, their body clock is, is going to be sort of tilted towards um, a later bedtime and getting up a bit later. Yeah. So it's like their whole like imagine that they need say about nine hours ish, give or take probably a bit more but it's then probably not going to be ready for bed till about maybe midnight and ideally um sleeping till about maybe nine yeah now that's a major problem if you've got a training session that starts first thing in the morning so this is where the timing of um training sessions is often not optimal and you see this like outside um, outside of the world of sports where they they've looked at maybe they should change the timing of school and college because actually getting um, children, adolescents in for a nine o'clock start is, you know, that's still their biological night, potentially. So um, there, there are some potentially some quite radical things that we could see change over time as clubs and athletes start to cotton on to this. There's more research coming out. Um, just just moving really quickly. Sure. You know, you've got challenges obviously of them being especially when they get into those teenagers hitting puberty and things like that's obviously going to have an impact on the amount of rest and, and you know recovery they need in that respect but there's yeah. also a cultural a cultural element to this isn't there because i think historically especially in the uk we do tend to have earlier start times whether that be for school whether that you know if you start getting to yeah. kind of that 16 plus age range then you start you know you've got your early morning training sessions obviously not this not quite the same for the kids that are going to school during the day and um, yeah. where they're typically training 
you know, maybe six o'clock, seven o'clock start, and in many cases also traveling. And then on the back end of that, you mentioned about the lifestyle and the social life aspect of it. They're coming home and they're probably sitting on their phones until about two minutes before they doze off, or they've probably still got their phone in the hand when they are dozing off. And obviously, mm-hmm. you know, I think there's an important piece around, you know, that the whole blue light technology and all of that sort of stuff that kind of obviously has a, a direct impact on that as well. So maybe just, you know, what 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 does the research suggest and at what point do we start to look at it and think right okay if we are working with potentially you know six to twelve year olds and then maybe that from a 13 to a 16 year old where they're probably more likely to hit the puberty stages what yeah. what are some of the different considerations that we really need to start thinking about there well i think i think timing is definitely important so ideally if you if you didn't have any constraints you probably design um you know the, the training schedule to allow for a, a later morning start because um, you're probably going to get more out of a lot of the, the young athletes then. Um, there will obviously be individual differences, right? So even within that, we're talking about generalizations here, there will still be some who are even more of a night owl, and there'll be those that are slightly more early type. But broadly speaking, your chances are you're going to get more out of um, your players if you're not asking them to get up at seven o'clock in order to get to training by nine or whatever. So um, I predict that we will probably see some shifts towards that um, over the next five to 10 years, I think. But um, obviously, um, it depends on all, all sorts of different constraints. And, and what you mentioned about the, the younger age group, um, you know, my understanding of the literature is that, that, yes, they probably still do have an early preference. And, and anyone with young kids will know this, is that they'd like to be up usually about six, half six, um, right, you know, sort of full of energy, full of beans, first thing. Um, so I, I think the same applies, but but what you will probably see is that um, the teenagers um, sort of have more of that night owl preference. So whereas younger kids will probably be ready for sleep by maybe like eight, nine o'clock, um, the sort of the teenage group might might not be ready till more like, I don't know, midnight. But going back to what you said about cultural norms, I think that's so important. Because if you think about it, why do we hold the nine to five as like normal hours? Where does that come from? Right. And, and mind it, I'm sure social historians would probably give a much better answer than I could. But I guess it's something to do with like industrial revolution and what was kind of normal working practices. So we, we it's, it's kind of like a legacy that we're all now living with, but it really doesn't suit everyone. And actually you know, for some people, they continue to be night owls all their life and they're going to really struggle with that early start time. Yet society kind of rewards and favours people who get up early. We kind of talk positively about that. You know, the early bird catches the worm and, um, you know, getting up is seen as like um, getting up early is seen as, you know, that you're motivated and driven. We, we talk positively about it. Does anyone ever talk positively about someone who gets out of bed at half ten? Very rarely, yeah. It's rare, isn't it? You know, we we tend to, and especially when it's teenagers, people start to you know say they're lazy or they're disorganised or they don't have the drive. And I, I'm having to do a lot of education around this because actually, that's that's a very negative narrative. And actually, there's in most cases there's a biological reason for that. Is they're not just choosing it because they can't be bothered. It's because that's that's the natural sleep pattern. Uh, but I think I think in many respects that it, it takes a level of uh, want in understanding 
to kind of explore and accept that 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 being the view right because you know i think the easy thing yeah. to do is say yeah well that, that person's lazy they're waking up late but actually if they're efficient with their time are we still having that same perception of them yeah i suppose so and obviously we the other thing that people ask me about is because because what we're talking about is is the ideal right so if, if you didn't have constraints if you could just design your day around your sleep needs but that's not the reality for most people and certainly not for athletes who, who have to play evening games sometimes and they've got to get to training early and they've got to travel um and, and it's an interesting balance between understanding um what's optimal but also recognizing that we are quite resilient as well and we can't you know think about people who do shift work we know that in theory, uh, well, uh, and actually, you know, there's evidence to show that that's not great for your health long term because it's not natural, right? For, for your circadian rhythm, it's not natural to do to work nights long, long term and it's associated with poor health outcomes. But people do it and they cope with it remarkably well. And, and what we're talking about in terms of with, with uh, the younger players is much less extreme than that. We're kind of saying coming in, you know, a couple of hours earlier than and is probably optimal. So I think this is why, by and large, a lot of players will cope with it and they'll be okay. But it's in the world of elite sports, if, you know, if I'm a coach, I would want to know how to get the most out of my players. When is the best time for these particular players to do their training and certainly perhaps intense training? When are they most likely to be kind of at their best to, to retain and learn new information? And I think it's about kind of educating coaches so they understand the theory and then they're the ones then that go away and actually make the calls around when they do the timing things. And, and rightly so, that should be their decision. But I think they need to be kind of equipped with that knowledge, I guess. So just on that, then, you know, when you're thinking about the, especially the younger kid, younger, younger, you know, athletes, and I'm, I'm really thinking, you know, there's going to be a lot of coaches that are listening to this now that probably aren't working in that quote unquote full time environment where they're able to kind of have access to, you know, their players during the day, especially during early mornings and things like that. OK. I, so, you know, what, what what would you advise them to start considering around, like you said, there is constraints, you know, in terms of they've got school, they've got this, they've got travel yeah. and then yeah, yeah. different environments provided. But is there an optimal time that you suggest that, you know, especially these young, younger athletes, the six to 12s or, you know, 13 to 16 kind of age range, where what part of the week they train in? I know there's obviously subjective considerations around it in the fact that some people might have to travel further to get to school and to and from home and things like that. But on on a general basis, and you know maybe what kind of time frame there should be potentially between when that session takes place and maybe in relation to when match day is and and, and things like that. Because I think you know I'm just thinking out loud and I'm just saying to myself, right, okay, well, obviously there's going to be consideration for when the session takes place, but also the intensity and the level of um, motivation that the players will then obviously subsequently have within those sessions is obviously going to have a direct impact on that as well but is there like any general sure. ideas around what that should or could look like i i don't unfortunately i don't think there is really i don't think there's like a, a nice neat and tidy answer to that it is it is a bit of a you know a conundrum that that yeah. it's about probably balancing lots of different things and and it depends on how much flexibility each club has got. So you know, some clubs might be like, well, we can we can sort of split the group in two. We could, so we could screen our players. We could look at the you know, and we could identify which of the players that are have got like this strong owl type chronotype. So they they need to be ideally going to bed late again up later, and which are the ones that are 
you know, perhaps a bit more kind of what might be considered normal sleep pattern or perhaps earlier types. And some clubs might be like, well, we, we could, in theory, split that group into two. So there's some of the week, not all the week, but some of the week, they sort of have slightly different training um, timings, depending on the group that you're in. Um, so I think that, you know, there's things like that that could be done. Um, I guess my belief really as well is that it's about getting to know the individual needs of, of each player because the problem, you know, a lot of these discussions is all very general, you know, based on what we know, you know, sleep science and, and the research into this. But I guess, you know, my clinical practice has taught me that really you, you've got to get to know the individual that you're working with. You understand what, what are their needs, how flexible might they be? You know, some players will be more affected by something like jet lag than others. Some players will, um, you know, the, the ones that we're talking about that might be um, strong night owl types. Um, some of them might be more resilient than other strong night owl types. Um, what if what if they're kind of there's a negative narrative then around these players being like, oh, their heart's just not in it. You can tell that they're just not, you know, the. But what if they're, be, you know, what if that's actually because they're turning up really tired, mm. and and maybe that even if the solution isn't right, we can radically change our training times. What if it's that that player gets some advice around tightening up their evening routine a little bit so they they're getting a bit more sleep um so they're making space for a bit more sleep so or, or you mentioned napping that's that's another really good thing that a lot of I, I would recommend to a lot of athletes is to build napping into their day if they can because if you can't get your full ideal amount of sleep at night you can you can top it up by having a nap um sort of mid-afternoon really just on that then you know I think there's a few considerations that are just kind of going through my head as you're speaking there. And I think one of the things is obviously talk about the naps, you know, what's an ideal nap and obviously, you know, how, how, you know, I myself, you know, I have a tendency to drop off for a nap. <laughs> uh, as in not as in, planned, just, just no, happens. As in, thing. Well, if I probably don't plan a set time for it, but I plan to yeah. have one in the day, if that makes oh, sense. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. But I'm also conscious of obviously how long that nap lasts as well. So, you know, for me, I kind of I kind of keep it to less than 30 minutes, but more than kind of 15 sort of thing. Because um, yeah. I find that as soon as I, 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 I to, you know, I toe the line of 30 minutes and beyond, mm-hmm. I'm probably a little bit more groggy than I, than I want to be. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's kind of almost li- literally a power nap, if you like. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, what's the science behind that? Another, another consideration that's kind of just coming into my head as, as you were speaking there was, diet and obviously nutrition because obviously that's going to have a massive part to play in terms of how, how effective your rest is and how your recovery is and you know how well you may end up sleeping and obviously the timing of that in terms of when you intake certain foods and when you intake the, when you may not intake certain foods but then obviously from a cultural perspective if we're looking at you know people and their individual needs and their individual backgrounds they're obviously going to have very different diets for different reasons as well true yeah that's really true so i think where you're going here, I totally agree with you, is that there are many, many factors that are all having an influence. Um, and, and this is, this is, I suppose, the idea of like um, a holistic plan for the individual athlete, isn't it? Is that you've got to consider all of these different parts that, that all make up the, the sum. And, and we haven't even kind of got into well-being and, and mental health and that side of things. But um, I totally agree. Um, going back to, to napping, there is actually some research that's looked into this a fair bit, actually. And 
there are broadly speaking some guidelines around optimal napping and it's about duration and timing essentially now when it comes to duration my reading of the literature you, you'll get different takes on this so i've seen some papers talk about up to 45 minutes is considered okay i've seen a couple of papers that talk about up to 90 minutes which i think you know a lot of people would feel is fairly long for a nap so i guess what i take from that is the consensus isn't yet like you know there's no kind of hard line that's been drawn but that gives us some uh, framework to work from so for example when i screened a player not that long ago and, and he said that he was regularly sleeping for like an hour and a half to two hours well i know that that's almost certainly falls outside of that so i can give some advice around that um the reason why just to say is that the longer that you nap in the day it's using up something called sleep pressure so sleep pressure is something that builds up after a period of sleep okay and this this is a biological process it's not something that we control directly um, it's natural it happens with all of us and your sleep drive builds up and builds up after a period of sleep and basically you want your sleep pressure or sleep drive to be as high as possible when you go to bed for your period of sleep but if you nap it kind of eats into that a little bit think of it like a cup and it's filling and filling and filling through the day and if you nap it's like you tip a little bit out because you've used a bit up so the risk is that if for some people napping for too long um means that they can then basically have problems getting to sleep at night or they they wake up in the middle of the night um so that's and that's why you might hear non-athletes you know the, the advice is don't nap basically especially if you've got a sleep problem most sleep experts would probably say um you know that napping is it interferes with your nighttime sleep but the exception is with athletes because they need more sleep and actually research shows that many athletes benefit from that so that that's the duration side the timing is really important as well yeah because i've, I've known some players who will have their nap at like six o'clock at night and that's a bit late because then again it starts to be a bit confusing for the, for the brain um because it's like that's getting fairly close to bedtime so there's a window in the afternoon uh, very roughly from about sort of half one two-ish to about four that's like a, a nice window where you can be fairly confident that if you sleep in that time as an athlete you're probably not going to be messing up your sleep too much in, in the evening or in the night rather Yes, I mean, what, what I'm hearing you say essentially is a cut-off point at which you want to optimise that, you know, the timing of your nap. But yeah, I, I guess, you know, coming back to the, the actual period of time that you spend doing it, I mean, I find that if I, if, I, if I ever do go as long as 90 minutes, I actually I feel all right after the 90 minutes. But if I, if I kind of smack bang in the middle of 45 to an hour, I'm, I'm not feeling great at all. And, you know, so I'm, I'm interested, um, you know, is it because I'm midway through, you know, one of my sleep cycles? I'm, you know, I'm just breaking it up, and it's almost like, like you said, you know, eating into some of that pressure, which then kind of, well, you haven't even let it out properly to even just take advantage of that small piece there. But then I'm also conscious that obviously, you know, from a, I guess, in an awareness and just a perception standpoint, how 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 is how would one identify? within themselves whether there's enough pressure there for that sleep and more specifically yeah. looking at observing you know players and athletes you know what, what are some of the signs that we might look look towards to try and 
not diagnose, but observe that this is this could be a key factor here. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think I, yeah. So, um, just going back to what you said then about your own observations, which is awesome because actually that's that's exactly the sort of thing that if I'm working with Matthew, I'll, I'll encourage them to be curious about their own sleep. So yes, understand the theory, understand you know the the education about sleep, but then use that to kind of inform your own understanding of, of your sleep needs so for, for other people um you know what you the pattern that you described they would feel absolutely fine but you've learned through experience that actually there's a sweet spot around maybe half an hour where that generally feels pretty good 90 minutes feels pretty good but then there's this kind of interesting space in between where you've learned from your own experience that 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 can be de- a bit detrimental if anything that's that's a really good example of you probably wouldn't find that necessarily in a research paper, but it's still it's real and it's meaningful because you figure that out for yourself. Um, and I and I would encourage athletes to sort of experiment in the same way. You know, OK, this is what the guidelines say. I'm going to try out a few different nap times and durations and see what works for me. Um, and what you said about maybe it's the stage of sleep that you wake up in, I think you could well be right there. Um, I think, you know, if you, if you wake up in, in a sort of a, perhaps from a deep sleep, you're probably going to get a, a bigger, um, there's something called sleep inertia, which is that grogginess that to an extent we all feel after after sleep. But then that, that can last longer, um, sometimes after a nap. Um, so, yeah, that, that's, that's what that made me think of. But in, in terms of the, this idea of sleep pressure, um, and athletes understanding that and recognizing it in themselves. So like a really quite simple way of tuning into it is, and I'll ask athletes this when I speak to them, is how sleepy do you feel out of 10 when you turn out your lights for sleep? And I don't mean fatigued, okay? So the, the thing you've got to separate out here, fatigued is like a physical feeling, right? It's in your body, it's like a bodily tiredness sleepiness is that drowsy heavy eyes Mm. right so if you've got a lot of sleep drive a lot of sleep pressure you'd expect sleepiness to be high so you you, when you go to bed um you're you know you've got that heavy eyes feeling and you feel basically ready for sleep Mm. it's quite amazing actually how many people go to bed and when you ask them that question they'll say I don't know five out of ten and they can that can be for lots of reasons so they're not sleepy enough which means they're probably going to take a while to get to sleep or they've got a risk then of waking up in the middle of the night because they weren't quite sleepy enough so that could be a timing issue it could be that they're just on that really quick because you yeah, made me sure. that, obviously you get a lot of people who consider themselves to be light sleepers as you know versus those of deep sleepers how much of that is down to the sleep pressure and how much of that is something that can actually you know be in in some ways impacted you know i consider myself quite a light sleeper whereas you know my partner she could sleep for a you know literally you know a concert if you like yeah do you know i reckon there are quite a few factors that will be at play there so i reckon part of it's genetics i think some of it is about your natural predisposition so some people have just been great sleepers all their lives they sleep, you know, as you say, they, they can sleep anywhere. They can sleep 
whatever noise and commotion is going on about them. Some people just can do that. Other people will say that they've always been a light sleeper. It doesn't, you know, any chink of light, any slight disturbance going on, they're, they're awake. So I think to a certain degree, there's there's something that's just about that's who we are. But, but I also think that um, I definitely sleep more lightly now since I've had children. And, and I... I don't think that's a coincidence. I think, you know, may, maybe there's some sort of like biological reason for that. Like you're almost like, you know, like a like a parental instinct or a yeah, yeah, because you're kind of you've learned to be on standby because <laughs> you know, when they there's a fair chance you're going to get disturbed sleep anyway. Um and I, you know, I my parents have said that to me other people, you know, later stages of life said your sleep is never quite the same again. Um and that's probably a bit of a generalization but but I, I guess what the point I'm making there is that your your personal circumstances and your environment and all of that definitely plays into whether you're sleeping quite lightly or, or deeply I mean I, th I think for myself I found that I can sleep anywhere and at any time as so if I feel you know, I'm tired enough I'm just going to doze off but can be woken up very quickly so I guess you know again I'm not you know without going too much off track, I'm now thinking, right, okay, this could be the reality for some of the players that we're working with, but also importantly, this could be the reality for some of the coaches that are actually working with these players. Oh, yeah. So yeah, how, yeah. How important is it for maybe the coach to feel like, you know, to be aware of these sorts of things? Because obviously they, you know, to get their maximal maximal times in, because, and I think, we, especially when we're looking at the, the, the athletes, again, going back, especially to the teenage age, I feel that, I, you know, certain times, even in my adult life, where I've been like, do you know what? I'm tired, but sometimes I feel like going to sleep is I'm not using my time efficiently. And I think that's some of the challenge sometimes because you want to get stuff done or there's things that you need to get done in, 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 in other cases. So, you know, how, how important yeah, yeah. is it in, you know, in terms of prioritising and how do we balance that out to recognise that as well? I know it's a bit of a broad question in that respect, but... Well, that, but that's really... I think a lot of people could relate to that. You know, I've I've got friends who've said that they wish they didn't have to sleep because it's wasted time. It's like the things I could be doing with that time if I didn't need to sleep. And I, I think that's partly a reflection of us having very full lives that, you know, have have our lives ever been so full? Because, you know, that I've, I've, it's, it's interesting. I've been reading some books about um, the impact of. Um, devices and phones and how, how that's like actually continually distracting us and, and um, filling our headspace even more than it was you know and I'm, I'm not that old and I can remember what it was like before mo mobile phones and it, it is quite different to be fair you know it, our lives are much more I think full-on in that respect now um, in terms of just that constant stimulation and, and so I, I think I think that's probably got um, some part in this um yeah but it's, it's it's an interesting one i, I mean I, I mean i just look at it and think to myself right even even when i'm going into a session um there's been times where i felt tired and obviously that's going to have a direct influence on how i then interact with the athletes interact with the players and yeah you know, then to, yeah, yeah. to kind of really take it out of context that you know it's just it's having an impact on my personal, you know, well-being, like you talk, talked about earlier in terms of that. I guess, 
what would you say are some of the key kind of you know initial steps that maybe co- coaches or even players or parents listening to this could think about in terms of right straight away I can make this change and it could probably enhance my quality of sleep and I think you know that, that conundrum of if I didn't have to sleep then I could do xyz it, it's definitely a reality for loads of people and I think one of the things that I've come to in, in my own personal this is where I've kind of said no I need to factor in my naps because I know when I get my naps I feel I feel good um and especially you know I'm, I'm not necessarily an athlete but I train pretty much on a daily basis um in the gym and it's like I've found that you know I'm either going to have my nap as soon as I get back from the gym yeah immediately yeah, yeah. often and I feel incredible when I'm done <laughs> um but then obviously is that you know there's obviously that those you know there's old myths and um stories around yeah. whether you should eat before you sleep or you know what about what about that side of things well just just picking up what you said there about um from coaches perspective parents the ones that are then supporting the players um and i think there's, there's a few things to say about that so obviously and you will know this right the 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 difference in you and your ability to do that from when you've had a, a, t- a terrible night of sleep versus when you've felt good, you've woken up feeling pretty, pretty refreshed. That difference can be profound in terms of how you how you get your messages across that day. Your quality of interaction, your mood, you might be, you know, most people are a bit. It's snippy, a bit irritable if they've slept badly. People will pick up on that pretty quickly. And then that you might become aware of that and then you feel a bit guilty about it, a bit rubbish. That sets off a bit of a negative cycle. So I think we massively underestimate um, what impact it can have because it, it actually um, can really detract from the quality of our interactions. And this is where I think coaches don't always prioritize themselves and their needs. I think they, if they, they're so focused on helping others, maybe forget about themselves, slightly neglect their sleep needs. But that's, it's a sort of a bit of a, I guess, like a false economy, really, because you, no one gains from that. You, you feel worse and you're not going to be at your best for your athletes that you're training and supporting. So actually, I guess number one is, is don't neglect that need. It's a myth that we can function on, you know, four or five hours just because a handful of famous people have supposedly functioned really well on those things that, you know, how reliable are those accounts? We don't know. And it's so rare. OK, the, the overwhelming evidence is that most people need between seven and nine hours. So, num- you know, number two is assume that you are someone who needs between seven and nine hours because that's all all the evidence would suggest you, you know, probably are there about all these famous people that might have you know surviving four or five hours sleep but in in my, in my own kind of uh research around it a lot of them also have naps ah yeah, interesting tend to have naps um yeah so know. that's bumping up the total sleep time in that 24-hour cycle yeah, yeah but i think there's again there's that misconception of you know attributing sleep to that that chunk that you get at the end of your day or you know just before you go down at night if you like and i think you know the nap often gets considered as no this is something different but actually yeah it's an accumulation of all of it isn't it do you know what this amounts to for me this is a fundamental mindset shift rather sleep is not an inconvenience sleep yeah. is like it's like a bit like a superpower if you if you make time for it if you follow some you know fairly basic principles 
you will feel better. You'll be healthier. You'll be less likely to get ill. You'll be less likely to get injured. You will mentally feel sharper. You will you will be more creative. Um, I mean, the ben- if, if someone said this is a tonic that could do that, you know, well, everyone would be queuing up for it. Again, so as you were Free. speaking, I think one of the questions that was going to come out you know, for me was, well, it, it's essentially a mindset thing, right? And if I'm now more conscious, intentional, and deliberate about, actually, I want to get this sleep because I understand the benefits it's going to give me. It's like going to the gym. Yeah. You know, you know, you don't yes. know when it's going to necessarily have its impact. But if you consistently do go to the gym and you consistently do lift this weight, well, you, you know for a fact you're going to get stronger. Yes, it's just, exactly. It, 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 I think that's probably where the challenge comes, right? Because some people are maybe so sleep depleted yeah. that they don't, they don't, they're not quite sure when that rest is going to happen. And they might decide, actually, you know, tonight I'm going to get some rest. I'm going to get 10 hours tonight. Yeah, but you've been getting three hours a night for the last three weeks. Is that enough to kind of recover that? You know, what, what, what's, what's the research exactly behind that? Right. How, how do we make it up? Because, you know, and then, you know, what's, what's there to be said about, you know, that the circadian rhythms in terms of the sunlight and whatnot, when the best time, optimal time for sleep is not a lot of the research that I've done in the past is, you know, kind of the hours between kind of really 10 and kind of 3 a.m. in the evening, whereas typically it is dark, if you like. Um, people tend to get more optimal sleep during that time. And I find that when I've been deliberate and intentional, setting my time to sleep during those hours, I probably can wake up on five hours and feel phenomenal. Um, yeah, well, there's, there's there's a lot to be said for quality over quantity as well. So I think people can get a little bit too hung up on getting enough hours, which, it, it, yes, it's important. Of course it is. But we forget about the quality of sleep as well. And you're absolutely right. You can you can feel really good off. Yeah, maybe like six hours solid sleep. That is possible. Um, some people are regularly getting eight or nine hours of broken sleep and broken sleep is the worst so people like it's a bit of you know it probably doesn't apply to many athletes but there's there's a sleep disorder called sleep apnea and what that does is it really fragments your sleep into lots of little bits because you keep waking up because um you're basically the airway is compressed you can't you can't take the air in so it wakes you up and this happens loads and loads more than you actually realize because it actually takes a little while for consciousness to kick in. So technically you've woken up, but you probably won't remember it because you then fall back asleep again. So when you get someone into a sleep lab with that condition, you know, they might think that they're getting a fair bit of sleep, but actually it's very, very fragmented. And that's why they feel so awful in the daytime because fragmented sleep just leaves you feeling really drained it's it's very unrefreshing poor poor quality sleep so i i think you know and seeing that and seeing the impact that it had really kind of hit home for me that then it was like okay so there's a lot to be said here for yes we know duration is important but but quality of sleep as well and that means trying to get nice consolidated sleep the other thing you mentioned there is about consistency. So if you're chopping and changing when you go to bed, when you get up every day, that's really confusing for the brain. It's like it can't make head nor tail of what's going on. It's a bit like changing time zones all the time, isn't it? But you're doing it kind of without, you know, going on holiday or whatever. You're just kind of changing your the, the, the timing of it. And, and actually, um, you know, the, the brain, the body loves consistency. So I think that's another thing that I would advise coaches parents players is 
to be aware of that, that actually if you can have a fairly consistent timing where you where you you know go into bed when you're sleepy um pretty much the same kind of time each night at a time that feels right for you and getting up at the same time every day even on rest days and weekends which not not everyone's always up for but that consistency is so good for you and it really strengthens the circadian rhythm just because routine is so important and it's one of the things that kind of you know a few years ago when I was looking into research around sleep and, and whatnot um that I kind of picked up on and I kind of fallen out the habit of it a little bit now is um, yeah I used to have blacked out windows oh yeah um windows as in not just blinds no as it, well blinds yeah so there was no light coming into the room <laughs> okay. I, you know at one point I even um disconnected all electronic devices in in the in, in the okay. room that's sleeping yeah yeah <laughs> um and you see a difference I, honestly massively yeah it changed like i I couldn't believe it like i said let me try it see what happens okay um especially in terms of the blackout you know the 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 curtains and the blinds that 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 obviously had a massive uh benefit in this first first instance because it was literally like well you've got no choice you're just going to go sleep you're in a dark room now um but then obviously you know the the little things like turning off the electricity in the room there was no plugged in devices or anything like that it sounds a bit crazy now when i think about it um and but no it, you know the sleep was much better because it was and i used to almost the bedroom was literally just for sleep nothing else would happen yeah i, I wonder if there's, there's like uh, there's a couple of layers to that isn't there so there's the lighting aspect yeah. so you obviously it sounds like it was a very very dark sleeping environment yeah but also, I just think then the psychological element of like knowing that a lot of things that could normally disturb you or have the potential to couldn't because they either weren't there or they were turned off. And I think that's that's different. That's that's more than just lighting. It's, it's almost like knowing that you are in a totally sort of serene place where you can't be disturbed. Yeah. And, I, and I think actually at some level, I wouldn't be surprised if that made a difference as well. Yeah, I mean, I definitely, you know, I think probably the easiest way to describe it is probably I definitely felt a lot more relaxed and intentional about going to sleep. So it's like I knew what I was coming into the room for. Whereas I think, you, yeah. can, you know, today's society and, you know, with mobile phones and everything around, you know, you can get in the habit of checking your messages oh, when you, yeah. you know, before you go to bed or even when you wake up immediately as well. You know, yeah. I think how much is to be said around what activity should look like once you're awake. To make sure you're optimizing what's just happened if that makes sense i don't know if there is any kind of any anything around that around what in particular the so now that i've had my rest I've, i'm now awake to make sure i optimize that further in terms of rest i've just kind of undergone if that makes sense about how how immediately i engage with certain activities or maybe don't oh, i see what you them. mean yeah yeah so like as in well that, that's that's a really interesting one um I personally subscribe to the view that being mindful of how much we get drawn into our emails, you know, apps, phone, just like checking the news, all the stuff that we do pretty much automatically. Mm. So many, like countless times a day we do it. I, I, yeah, I think that actually thinking about the impact it has on sleep, but also noise in the brain. Yeah. I, I think it's probably a good thing for us to 
create some space there. And we don't have to do because people I think people understandably get quite extreme about it. And, the, you know, as you've described, um, wanted to just get rid of all of it, you know, let's just be done with it, which sounds quite appealing, actually. But is that sustainable? Probably not. You probably, you know, most people probably, well, I could actually do with my phone actually later. And actually it's quite handy to have the iPad for, you know, when we're traveling. And so it's, it's probably not sustainable long term for most people, but that doesn't mean that it's, it's all or nothing. Right. So I think I like the idea of protecting a bit of space after you have, have woken up where you just be, you don't, you know, what do you have to immediately, how important is it that you immediately check your emails or the news? Could, could you wait? 15 minutes could you wait half an hour or could you do it when you're having your breakfast could you do it two hours later what would happen what's the worst yeah. that could happen so um and and pre-bed absolutely is so important because it's such a big ask to expect your brain to go from functioning at this super high level where you are having conversations thinking sort of strategically or planning or um you know we, we we probably don't appreciate the demand that we put on our brains through the day. OK, and it doesn't matter what what your job is, what sort of level you're working at. I think this applies to, I think, pretty much everyone that you're most of us are putting huge amounts of um, demand on the brain. And then we somehow expect to be able to do that right up until we turn the lights out and then go to sleep. Well, that that's too big an ask. So something that I advise everyone that I work with on, on sleep is. To, to create this like buffer zone, this like 60 to 90 minute window where you're helping your brain and your body to kind of get into night sleep mode, really. Yeah. It's like, how, how do you do that? How do you go from, you know, this intense, um, full on thinking and, and um, state of being to this kind of more chilled, relaxed state? Sure. So just on that, you know, something that kind of made me think about it was that, What's to be said around, you know, waking up naturally versus that to an alarm clock? Yeah, that's well, do you know, I think that you get mixed opinions on that. So a lot of sleep specialists will say, you know, anchor your wake times. Just imagine throwing that anchor down and being like, that's my wake time every day. I'm going to stick to it. And what what that gives you is consistency. Yeah. And that's good for the circadian rhythm. But there's another school of thought that says, if you don't need an alarm, then waking up naturally is kind of, you know, intuitively that makes sense, right? Because then surely you're, if, as long, you know, you're waking up when you're ready to wake up and you're, so th some people would say that if you set an alarm, it's, it's artificially um, shortening your sleep. So I, th I think, I think there's, there's, there's probably not an absolute answer to that. Um, I think there's pros and cons to both. Yeah, I mean, I, I found it quite interesting because I, I, I thought, I mean, I don't set an alarm every day, but I find that even when I've set one, I tend to wake up before it goes off. I, th I think it, loads it, of people it's a do. It's a, matter, yeah. it's a matter of minutes in in, in some cases, yeah. but it's a, you know, I tend to I'm awake when the alarm does go off. Um, but then I'm also conscious that you know you talk talked earlier about having kids, and I used to find that if I was woken up before them. Um, so if I was already awake before they woke up, I was, you know, I was in a relatively good mood. <laughs> um, yeah. Even if I, even if I was somewhat slightly tired. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. But if I was woken up, 
Yeah. Wow, it was it was it was chaos. <laughs> you know, I, I, I can just imagine all the parents that are saying absolutely I think I totally agree. Totally it's a it's a different experience, isn't it? And the experience of, of waking up is is important actually. Being woken up and and we're not just talking like probably like a gentle, you know, rocking, you know, daddy. <laughs> You know, I would imagine if it's anything like my household, it's full pelts. Suddenly, you know, everything lights are on and there's, you know, proper, you know, low voices. And that that's a shock to the system. And most people don't. That's not how they want to start their day. That's And that's that's a that's being really kind of shaken out of your sleep. And that's different to a, a sort of a. I, I think that's more of a shock to the system than an alarm, actually, because an alarm, if you think about it, um, over time, you get used to that because most of us have used alarms since really, you know, probably teenage years, maybe even before. And it's something that's under your control. You set that time. You chose the, the ringtone or whatever, or the sound of the alarm. It's all under your control. You, you've chosen to put your phone in that particular place. It's all habit. It's all control. Whereas, you know, your kid's coming in at a, you know, you might be able to guess roughly when they're going to do it, but sort of steamrolling in, into the room. It, it's out of your control and that's psychologically that does feel very different mm-hmm. uh, you, you, i think it's really interesting but obviously that you know we kind of come back to the coaching aspect of things now and we look at it again from from coaches i think there's a there's a massive education piece here obviously not just for coaches not just for players but for parents as well what will be some of the key yeah, things sure. you, you know you want you're wanting coaches to really t- kind of take on board and consider in terms of this part obviously there is constraints that come with it in terms of when they train when their games may or may not be and sure. those are some of the things that you know to an extent are out of control okay um they're beyond manageable yes. yeah. um because it, it, um, just, it is what it is true but maybe this is the optimist in me but i always believe there's scope to, to do things better and I mm. genuinely believe that. And yes, we can't always necessarily control everything, and we can't always do things by the book, ideally. But there's there's so much scope for things to be done better. We we talked earlier about like a mindset shift. And something that I talk a lot about is the need to develop like a positive pro sleep culture. Yeah. And I think that's where coaches have got an absolutely critical role. And and what that looks like is asking players about their sleep. I know that sounds really simple, but just showing an interest in it, saying, how was your sleep last night? Or how have you been sleeping recently? Because what that does is it shows an interest. It's it's also modeling that kind of curiosity about sleep. Because mm. and by doing that you're kind of showing that it matters, that it's you know something that you care about and that is actually important. So I think just asking the question and being interested in it is a good start because I've I've been told by players that um, they know of players that are living with sleep problems that just haven't talked about it. And I I think a lot of the time it's because they're not being asked the right questions because players don't necessarily, they're not necessarily going to think, hmm, I'm feeling like this. I've noticed this. Therefore, I've got a sleep problem. Therefore, I'm going to go and seek help for it. I think a lot of people wouldn't necessarily think like that, understandably. So I think asking the question is a really good thing that they could do and that could be done in a very sort of casual chat you know just part of making talk i mean i guess fundamentally what you're saying there is that it starts with the coach in that respect you know the, if, you know if the coach has a negative perception towards sleep or if, co- if the coach oh, is of the mindset massively. Of, um oh 
yeah <clears throat> i wish i didn't have to go to sleep because i've got so many other things to do then totally it, it breaks down from 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 there right but i guess you know if, if there's a parent absolutely this, what what would you suggest around that because the parent could also be the coach yeah the parent could also be someone who's in of, of the same mindset mm-hmm. so same applies same applies so asking questions being interested being curious the other thing is modeling a positive um attitude towards sleep so exactly what you said people who say you know oh i'll sleep when i'm dead and you know talk almost like heroically about the lack of sleep they've had that's that i mean that to me seems really old-fashioned like i I don't understand how that even still happens anymore what we know now about sleep and how important it is so breaking out of that and this is is this psychological idea of modeling yeah so we we model behavior that we want others to take on board and 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 you do this as a coach and as a teacher all the time right you 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 can you conduct yourself in a way that you think is a good way to be a good way to think about things and they pick up on that and it's the same with sleep so just being careful about how you talk about your own sleep um maybe trying to kind of live by some of those um recommendations and and guidance about sleep looking after your own sleep because if they can see that you're doing that and you you value it you're doing your best to try and sleep well you're trying to kind of make improvements to it and that you're gaining from it that's going to be really powerful for them to see and very you know inspirational i think yeah so i I think just beyond that then you know i'm just thinking now if, if i'm now speaking directly to a young athlete Typically, maybe if, you know, in my head, I'm thinking about a teenage age in particular. Obviously, they're at that stage where there is a lot of element of run. You know, I want to be able to socialise, and I've got this to worry about. What GCSEs, yeah, whatever that yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. You know, from your experiences, what are some of the things that you might start to drop in there that get them to really maybe appreciate and, if you like, allow the penny to drop for them around just how important this piece is. I guess it's about choice and. I don't, I don't think giving them a hard time about wanting to, you know, speak to friends or play Xbox or whatever, I, I don't think that's fair because actually those are pretty standard, normal things that a lot, lot of kids want to do, a lot of teenagers, a lot of young adults want to do as well. Um, so I think going down the route of just, you know, overly simplistic saying it's, it's bad for them and stuff doesn't tend to be effective. In fact, I, I'm not even sure that emphasising the risks and the negatives is particularly a good way to go because that's like a fear-based motivation works for some people but i i think was probably better is to go down the, the route of what are the benefits to focus on the what are the positives to be gained from sleeping well okay what does the research show so again this is something that i would encourage parents and uh, coaches to to sort of equip themselves with this knowledge really so we know that if you sleep better, you've got a reduced risk of injury. That's massive. I mean, as a as a professional athlete, injury is the thing that causes people all sorts of you know worry. It, it can it can it can end careers at its worst. It can set people back. If you sleep better, you're less likely to get injured. You're less likely to overtrain. You're less likely to kind of make slightly in the moment poor decisions that then messes up your training. Um. If you sleep better, you are much more likely to perform better. So, you know, research shows that your sprint times will increase, your 
decision making is better you're more creative um if you sleep better your relationships will probably improve because as we know when you're on good form after a good night of sleep how you are the way you talk to people the way you interact is very different to if you're chronically sleep if you've ever gone through, you know you said you've got young kids and so you'll probably know this if you go through a period of sleeping quite badly for quite a long time it's hard to feel like yourself you just it feels like there's a bit of a cloud you it's harder to be as spontaneously happy and and sort of light in your mood and it's not because you don't want to it's just it's harder to do that because you haven't slept enough yeah that how how does that play out on the football field or in the training pitch you know if, if you're not sleeping great you're going to probably be more prone to being a bit moodier, a bit snappier. You might be a bit more, you know, argumentative. You won't be yeah. receptive to learning. Yeah, it's just, it's just making me think, you know, I, there's, I think that's probably why I'm so actively I'm intentional about, I need my naps. I need my naps because re- I've already kind of conceded to the fact that, you know what, six days out of seven, I'm probably going to get a poor sleep. Um, yeah, okay. Or a lot of poor sleep, but it's not going to be as efficient or effective as I want it to be. So I've already kind of calculated that and I've really anticipated that. But I guess, you know, it's something else that kind of came up as as you were speaking and I think to myself, right, well, there's, t- there's times where I've kind of said to myself, well, I want to go for a workout. I want to go to the gym as an example. I'm not feeling 100%. Um, mm-hmm. But when I get there, even if I wasn't intending on, you know, having a full-on workout, I end up having one. Is there anything there around whether I should or shouldn't to, to, to maybe maximise and um, optimise my sleep in that respect? I'm, you know, my immediate thoughts are going towards, well, actually, yes, still exert yourself because that might actually contribute to you now preparing to get into a space of better sleep, if that makes sense. That's a great question. Um, I wonder if it's about how sleep deprived you are. So if you're very, very sleep deprived, you're going to be more prone to making mistakes um and misjudging things Mm. um and and you will be more prone to injury okay but we also know that physical exertion is good it's you're you're more likely to sleep better Mm. so i think it's it's what i would say again it's probably not all or nothing so maybe don't have like your toughest day at the gym ever off the back of a bad night of sleep yeah maybe just go into it being you know dialing it down a couple of notches because that's still good it's still worthwhile doing it right but but don't go there expect you know don't like take it out on the gym equipment because you've slept badly that's that's probably going to end not so great so instead i think it's going there thinking you know i'm just going to start off maybe a bit lower level than i would normally build up see how i feel it's just going in there with a that kind of awareness that be, be mindful that you've you might not be at your best today because you've not slept well, but equally anything that you probably do in the gym is going to help you probably get a better sleep tonight. Yeah. I mean, and I guess, you know, the other side of that, you just thinking in terms of the timing of that, because obviously, you know, my experience yeah. anyway, there's, there's a research piece around that, isn't there, around how late that's right that should be because obviously then you know sure. once you kind of finish your workout or whether you know I'm, I'm using the gym workout in this case but even for players training that's right, you know, yeah. if they're training at a later time then obviously that's going to have an impact on how soon they can then maybe subsequently fall asleep off the back of that definitely and and that, it makes sense right like if if you're physically exerting yourself in a pretty substantial way again it's a big ask to then expect your brain and your body to just 
click off. Yeah. Okay, so it, it takes a bit of time to come down from that. So the generally speaking, lighter exertion in the evening is is good. Okay, that's fine. Um, so people do you know things like a light workout or yoga or things that are, are not as high intensity. But if that's the only time that you can train, either because you know professionally that's when you have to train or because that's the only time in your day. I guess then it's about being realistic and thinking on those days that I train later, I should probably, I'm probably going to have to push my bedtime back a little bit because I'm probably not going to feel ready for sleep at the same time. And rather, you know, getting into a panic about that, I think just be quite accepting of it. It's like, it's okay. And if you can, if you can slightly compensate by getting up a smidge later than normal, um, you know, then, then you can do that. Now, I know that slightly flies in the face of what we were talking about earlier in terms of consistent bedtime and wake time, but this is real life. And if that's the only time that you can train or that's the only time or that's the time that you have to train, then you adapt to that. And that's where I think good education is needed, because if you, if you kind of give people this knowledge and skills that they need, they then know what to do. It's like, oh, OK, so I know that, yeah, consistent bedtime is good. But, you know, Tuesdays and Thursdays, I do a late gym session because that's the only time I can do it. So what I'm going to do is on those nights go to bed a little bit later because I'll increase my sleep drive, gives me more time for my brain and body to come down after the gym. And I'll try to work my day. That means I get an extra half an hour in bed in the morning. And a lot of people could do that absolutely fine. And it doesn't mess up their sleep overall, you know, that they, they can tweak it in that way. So just just on that, then, you know, I'm just thinking now in terms of, you know, loading of sessions and obviously you talk here about you know, not overexerting yourself, but obviously if, you know, if you're in a state, if you're in a position where, where you know, the, I guess the demands physically are, are, are a lot higher in terms of the intensity, um, then you might have, to, you know, you might have to kind of manipulate your work, you know, your, your your schedule, if you like, in terms of maybe going to sleep later, potentially waking up a little bit later if possible. But I guess, yeah. it, it, what what's the optimal kind of time frame from, if you're like a, a high intensity kind of workout or high intensity training session, um, and then obviously, dialing that down in preparation to actually get some good night's rest yeah i think that probably goes back to your natural body clock so for for night owls you can ask them this you know this is another question that coaches can ask players parents can ask their um children or athletes you know they, they could say if you had a totally free schedule and you you knew that you didn't have any commitments the following day. When would be your preferred time to do some intense training? Because people often intuitively know that. You probably know when, yeah. you know, if you if you didn't have any commitments for the next yeah. few days and you could just choose when to do that, you probably know when's the it's best got, time. For me, it's got to be between 9 and 12 or I'm not getting it done. I, okay. my, 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 you know, the motivation is just not there. You know, I, I can probably still get in and do a workout, but... I'll be forcing it. So that's interesting, isn't it? Because that's about when is your motivation going to be at its peak? And that's got, it might have something to do with sleep, but it's it's not sleep driven. That, that That's like a psychological no, I mean, layer I mean, to this. What I would say, when I, for instance, you know, I went for a period of time where I'd wake up around 5.30, go to the gym and get there for six. And I just found I can do it. I'm, I'd be motivated to do it. I just don't find myself being as efficient in what I'm doing. Shall we say, like, yeah. you know, there's a bit, of, there's a bit of a slug to it. 
I think between yeah. nine, you know, if I if I go in and I work up between them, that nine and twelve kind of time, um, I feel like, it, you know, for lack of way of describing it, it, all my cylinders are firing now. Okay, so for you, maybe that's that's the nice balance. It's like it's it's leaning towards your early preference, um, and you've learnt that that's you know it's not so early that you're still kind of groggy and waking up kind of thing exactly. you're, you're but but it's you know trying to do that nine o'clock at night your motivation is going to be lower you might be someone who's ready for sleep not long after that it's anything after two i'm now thinking nah just uh, i'm just not going to be on it <laughs> yeah obviously part of that's motivation less sleep but then i'm also then conscious of right based on the sleep i have had and the day that i've you know the where where i am in my day if it's two o'clock three o'clock i'm now thinking well I might have to go to work in a couple of hours. So mm. am I going to have enough rest based on what my sleep was like last night to get through that efficiently? Mm. Whereas mm. 9 to 12, do my 9 to 12 work, I'll come home and I might have my 30, 40 minute nap mm-hmm. ready to go again. And, you know, it's, it's a, it's, um, there's no break up in the day if, if, I, if I have to go later, if that makes sense. It does. Yeah. And again, that trying to kind of foster that in in you know the the young people that you're supporting is is, you know getting them to be curious about what works for them so rather than just like thinking about it like what that my schedule allows me to do things in that way yeah yeah which uh, yeah i appreciate it's not always the case so in which case then it's about compromise it's like what's the closest that i can get to optimal Mm. because we can't always we can't optimize everything as much as we'd love to we can't for all manner of reasons so but that doesn't mean we'll blows to it don't even bother how close can i get it to my optimal training time or are there even if you know maybe just one day a week i can because i can make that day work and that's great because i know i'm gonna i'm gonna enjoy that i'm gonna feel great does that then not go against the idea of building that consistency? Because one of the questions I was going to have for you on, on that was, it, let's just say this is the week I've got planned out. If that's the same week I've got every single week, how consistent does it need to be within those seven days as opposed to actually this is the same week, four weeks in a row, if that makes sense? It does. And this is where I think it starts to get a bit complicated because... So if we if we're just thinking about sleep, right? There's duration, there's consistency, there's timing, there's consolidation. There's probably about seven or eight factors that all stack up that we know as just one layer of importance for sleep. But sometimes you kind of have to sacrifice one to boost another one. And this is this is where I think it's about you know really trying to get an understanding of that individual and being like okay for you you might have to sacrifice consistency okay so imagine like if it was almost like a computer game you know your your circadian rhythm then loses a couple of points because you're not as consistent with your timing of something because you're but what if then your your output is better because the quality of the training that you're doing is is, is better because you're on a few days you've tailored it to your optimal timing mm-hmm. so i don't know if that makes sense but it's it's I, I guess it's unrealistic for us to think that we can have 
follow all of these guidelines all of the time perfectly because we can't and often it's a, you know something's got to give and and yes it would be nice to have um you know a totally the, or, or rather i'd say it'd be nice to have maybe it wouldn't but maybe the brain would like it if you did ex- i'm going to eat exactly the same time every day i'm going to eat the same meal at breakfast i'm going to always have the same lunch i mean you know circadian rhythm might be like oh this is this is great you know this is like this is very predictable i can i can tell you exactly what's going to happen in one hour because it happens all the time but that'd be quite dull and <laughs> you know so circadian rhythm is loving it but like probably our morale would start to dip down then because it's yeah. like oh, i've had the same breakfast now for like you know two years and i'm sick of it so do you see how like it's so that doesn't mean we should abandon the whole principle of strength yeah. and circadian rhythm, but it's we're, we're playing with all these different systems. We're trying to kind of tune them, I suppose. Think it of it like tuning. Sweet spot for the individual. Yeah, that's, that's it. Kind of come off the back of that then. You know, if I'm not thinking about right, some key takeaways and thinking about what some practical steps that coaches and parents and even players, if they're listening to this, can kind of really go away and start to think about straight away. What, what would okay. those be? Because obviously we talked today a little bit about, the, you know, the importance of naps, the timing of naps, the length of those naps, the importance of sleep in terms of consistency, quality, um, the timing, and obviously there's you know, some of the other factors that fall in between that in terms of how late do we train and how close is that to the, you know, the time that we actually end up do going to sleep. What, what would you be, you know, what would you be saying are some maybe go-to quick wins for people to start to think about in terms of actually implementing something in place that might just start to just develop the sleep quality in the first place obviously I think one of the key things that you talked about really was the the coaches showing a genuine curiosity in in developing an awareness around the sleep as well for the athletes and even for themselves to be honest with you but you know I think I think we can definitely agree on the fact that there's there's a huge education piece needed here for everyone involved in that kind of that that development pathway whether that be a, a senior athlete a youth athlete um or even just as practitioners, as coaches themselves. Definitely. And that's, 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 that's a big piece of work, but it's very doable because actually, you know, a lot of these things that we've talked about today are, you know, can be packaged up quite nicely. And, and actually what I find is that people love to talk about sleep. Like when people, you know, say that I'm a sleep specialist and they immediately launch into telling me all about their sleep. And, and I think it's something that we all do, we can all relate to everyone's got some ideas about what seems to work for them so I don't think it takes too much to get people quite interested in it Mm. I think it's probably a bit more of a challenge to get people to understand just how important it is and and how it can impact their development as an athlete I think that's a bigger piece of work I don't think athletes necessarily fully understand that and to me it feels like um, an untapped area in professional sports I'm I totally believe that in you know, the next 10 years, we're going to see so much more emphasis on this because, you know, the science is there. Intuitively, we all know that. We all know that we function better in every way when we're sleeping better. And we know that athletes are commonly getting sleep problems. So it's all those, you know, this recipe there for why aren't we doing more about this and actually start younger in the academy level because, you're then doing preventative work. So this is where I, I think, you know, talking about setting a positive example around sleep, talking about it in a positive way, educating, that doesn't have to mean, you know, bombarding players with research papers, just in a in a kind of conversational way that we've had today. Just, did you know, did you know that, um, 
you know, sleeping poorly can can actually increase your risk of getting injured. Um, you know, probably a lot of players don't necessarily they haven't made that connection. Do you know what's just made me think about it? I was just speaking there, and I think it's a few things. One, probably a little bit more um, in line with really what you're saying. It, it made me think about temperature. Okay. Yeah, I, I was just rethinking about you know the timing of training and and, and that in relation to see what I found in my own experiences. I don't know if there is any research or science behind this necessarily but when I, f- I typically have cold showers um, okay. when I exercise or train or anything later on in the evening I never finish off with a cold shower I always have a, a kind of a hot shower because I mm-hmm. thought that preps me better to go to sleep as well so I don't know if there's anything in that and then beyond that it's almost and this is probably so individual as I know uh, uh, you know I'm probably you're probably going to say that it's very specific to the individual but is there anything to, to be said around position of the body when you're sleeping? Like it's just okay. in terms of optimal. So, so in terms of temperature, um, what you've said makes loads of sense. I think if you think about like how to start your day, a cold shower, a lot of people swear by it, don't they? Because and if you think about it, it's a shock to the system. It 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 wakes you up. If you've ever done you know the proper like cold shower, it's it's pretty grim i mean it's, it's, a lot of people would say that they don't necessarily enjoy it but in, in a way it's kind of invigorating and, and it certainly it wakes you up because it yeah whereas a warm like a warm bath a warm shower it's more relaxing it's pleasurable it's a nice experience so doing that before bed yes absolutely it's, it's, it's probably going to help yeah a warm bath is relaxing. Most people find that to be a relaxing experience. It's the same principle with a warm shower, I think. So I suspect that a big part of that, what you discovered there is to do with that. Um, picking up on sleeping position, that's a really interesting one. Um, there are a certain number of really common positions. Um, in terms of whether one is better than another, you're right that it is individual preference and a lot of it actually probably goes back to how you slept as an infant. Um, certain positions mean that you're more prone to snoring. So if, if, if you are someone who's prone to snoring. So, um, for example, people who are prone are more like just snoring on their back. And if you're constantly then getting an elbow in your ribs because you're snoring, that's probably going to mess up your sleep, in which case sleeping on your side. Um, if you're someone who's prone to snoring, um, might be better because it's better for everyone involved then sort of thing um so i think in that way that could be good what i would say is if you're um a a front sleeper which is fairly unusual but some people do um then it's making sure that you've got the right kind of pillow for that because if you're sleeping on your front you actually want a very flat probably single flat pillow um anything more than that you you your head and your neck alignment's going to be out and you might wake up with a bit of a sore neck. So I think sleeping position, I'm not aware if, if they looked at which position leads to the best sleep, although no doubt someone out there has probably done that research. It's an interesting idea. Um, but but yeah, I think, I think you're spot on when you said it's about playing to your strengths and what feels natural for you, really. And um, yeah, and, and, you know, on that issue... Um, Again, not underestimating the importance of just getting some nice quality bedding if you can afford it, because actually we spend about a third of our life in bed. 
So um, it's, it's, a, it's a good investment if, if you're in a position to do that. I think just on that, it's very subjective as well, isn't it? What, what, what that should be as well, because, you know, people, depending on it is. the mattress and, like I said, the pillows and everything is, has a massive part to play. And, you know, I, I guess there's so many things that you can consider here, but, you know, you just I, I think it's really important, like you said, just to start opening up the conversation around the effectiveness of your sleep and the importance of it. Um, you know, certainly for me, that's probably going to be the, the biggest takeaway for me in terms of where having that curious conversation with some of the players that I work with and even some of the coaches I work with around, you know, how effective that sleep is for them. And I think ask if, if, if the resources aren't there, if you feel like, look, we want, we want to build this ask, I think make a point of, you know, go to the people that you need to go to in the club and say, we, we want to bring in some people to educate us about sleep or we want we want to run some workshops on sleep because we think that our young players they, they need this um there are people out there that can that can do that and i think um again that shows that you're taking it seriously that you recognize that it's important and and sometimes that's what it's about it's kind of about making it happen and thinking okay let, let's let's bring in some experts to talk about sleep and and that's how it starts then so that, that's the other thing that, that that in many ways is kind of tying back into what you said earlier, right? About having that curiosity, being you know, almost leading by example in many ways. That like if we're taking the steps to almost bring someone in or have some yeah. sort of specialist come in and just talk about it, it's actually well, there's a real enthusiasm for this. That might be enough for some of the players in the environment for the penny to drop in that respect, mm-hmm. um, and just you know kind of open their eyes a little bit more around the considerations they maybe should have uh, should have or could have already. Um, around how to impact their sleep in, in the first place but yeah, it's a fascinating topic for me I'll be honest with you Chris I, I could probably sit here and talk to you about sleep for hours and how to optimize that and whether I should go back to having blacked out windows and whatnot but yeah um, well, it sounds like it's something you've you've given heaps of thought to you've experimented with yourself you've tried out different things read yeah, about definitely so, yeah at certain times and I, you know I, I find myself in between you know, like you said, it's that all or nothing piece, right? Sometimes I have a bit all or nothing. It's almost finding the right right balance and that sweet spot of right, what yeah. works for me as an individual. Do I know myself well enough in terms of what, yeah, again, what works for me and how does that yeah. then subsequently impact those around me and those, how do those around me impact on my uh, ability to sleep? So I think there's definitely a lot of thought gone into that respect. Um, again, it's just really, you know, it's really good to get some different perspective and, you know, from real deep insight around, your experiences, your research and your knowledge around how to potentially get coaches to start to maybe broach this conversation a little bit more and raise that awareness for athletes. So I think, now, first of all, thank you for that. And I really appreciate your time today. Very welcome. Thanks. For, uh, yeah, really enjoyed chatting to you about it. And, and I, I agree. I think it's, we probably just could have carried on there, but um, I, I appreciate we, yeah, we, we probably should at some point bring it to an end. Just, just on that though, you know, if there is anyone yeah. who wants to kind of find a little bit more about the work that you do and just, you know, just explore this area a little bit further, is there somewhere they can kind of get in touch with you, or is there somewhere they can you can signpost them to get further information on that? Yeah, of course. So um, if you look up Sleep Athletics, we've got a website, sleepathletic.com. Um, we're also on LinkedIn, um, so people can find me. Just search for my name or, or Sleep Athletic, and I'll come up. Um, we've got. Twitter and Instagram. I'm not amazing when it comes to social media, but we do have that, and we've got people that know much more about social media looking after that stuff. Um, but by all means, I'm very, you know, I, I would welcome people getting in touch if they want to ask me any questions or if they've got any concerns about someone they're working with and they want some advice. 
Um, absolutely. And yeah, the, the, you know, I, I think some of the things that we've covered today, really, that's that's what we're about. It's about um, education. So we do some workshops, but it's also about some some kind of tailored one to one work, because actually that that is the gold standard. At the end of the day, you've got to understand that individual and what they need. Um, and and the, the other thing just to say on that note, really, is that um, this is what I spend a lot of time talking to coaches about is, is the need for clubs to start asking the right questions. And that that really comes down to screening and assessing athletes for sleep issues, because there's loads of athletes out there and they don't even realise that they've got sleep problems. They've just learned to live with it. They don't, they don't even see it as an issue. But then you get talking to them and it's like, oh, that's you, you really don't have to just put up with that. So, um, yeah, by all means, I'm happy for people to get in touch. Amazing. Chris, thank you again for your time. I really appreciate it, man. Thank you. Awesome to speak. Well, there you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favourite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at The Coaches Network or on Twitter at The Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.